Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is really a pleasure to be with you and to have this opportunity to be back in Franklin. Uh, my Linda, of course, is uh, your Linda in a lot of ways. She uh, grew up over at West End. Linda and I were married 42 years ago uh, in March uh, over at the West End building. So uh, I think a few of you may have been there. I know some of you were there. So it's good to have uh, the opportunity to be back in Franklin and to have the chance to talk with you about God's Word. As I said a little while ago, this will be a little different series uh, for me, dealing with evidences and uh, uh, atheism and evolution, but uh, one that I've looked forward to, and I hope that our studies together will be beneficial. You might want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians for a moment. And while you are doing that, I want to take you to a passage in Acts chapter 17. The basis of the preaching of the apostles was the resurrected Lord. So Paul said in Athens, uh, talking to the philosophers, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ came forth from the tomb, and that became then the strong evidence used by the apostles as they took the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 15, Paul talks about the gospel and its uh, power, its message, says he declares the gospel. And he says that they are saved by the gospel, verse 2, if they remain in it. And then in verse 3 he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to uh, the Scriptures, and that he was seen by these eyewitnesses, which he names here. You know, of course, uh, from just your social contact and your uh, relationships in the, the general community, that when there is a trial, there are several kinds of uh, evidences that are presented. There is uh, what we call sometimes physical evidence. If... Uh, there is a murder, and they find the gun. And do you all watch CSI? Well, you know about physical evidence. I don't need to go into that uh, probably uh, too much. Uh, if, if you watch CSI Miami, don't watch the first two minutes. You'll see too many bodies, living ones. And then don't watch the next two minutes. You'll see too many dead bodies. But after that, it gets kind of interesting. The forensic science of how uh, uh, it is developed uh, around 
generally physical evidence. Then there is what is called testimony, of course. And testimony is always strong evidence. Way back in the Old Testament, the writers uh, spoke about the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in all of the capital crimes in Israel, they required two or three witnesses in order to be able to execute uh, the individual who had committed such terrible deeds uh, among them. So eyewitness testimony is tremendously strong. And eyewitness testimony is held in court uh, to be uh, acceptable unless, of course, there is reason uh, to reject that testimony. And then there is what is called circumstantial testimony. Uh, evidence from uh, motive, perhaps, or from uh, opportunity, or other kinds of uh, evidence. Uh, the law courses that I was uh, privileged to take at Vanderbilt, I enjoyed very much because they helped us to uh, understand some of these kinds of uh, uh, things. Now, the Apostle Paul appeals most to eyewitness testimony. And as you go on in this text, uh, you will see that. He begins in verse 5 uh, saying that Jesus was seen. This is after the resurrection, post-resurrection uh, evidence. He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Some have fallen asleep, he says. Some were, most of those people were still alive and could be uh, uh, talked to, uh, examined uh, at that time. And so he says, uh, then he was seen by James and by all the apostles and by those afterward. Actually, as you look at the New Testament, there are lots of witnesses to the resurrected uh, Jesus, eyewitnesses that were available for them to talk to uh, in the times uh, to come. On Sunday, if you look at the gospel records, the Sunday of the resurrection, in and around Jerusalem, there were a number, Mary and uh, several women. Then there were those on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Simon Peter came to the tomb. And all the apostles, except Thomas, ultimately, witnessed the Lord resurrected on that first Sunday. Then after that, you have a series of uh, sightings, we might say, of the Lord here, the resurrected Jesus. A week after the resurrection, he appeared uh, to the apostles, and that time Thomas was there if you remember, in the Gospel record. Over the next 40 days, he appeared up in Galilee, near the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he appeared to 500 people at once, we are told in the record, and he appeared to James uh, during those 40 days. And then back in Jerusalem, just before the ascension, he appeared to the apostles on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus appeared... Uh, here while he was here on the earth numerous times to hundreds of people who became eyewitnesses 
of the resurrected Lord. And then later he appeared to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road uh, to Damascus. And Paul gives uh, three times, uh, Luke records in the book of Acts, uh, his accounts of those uh, of that appearance later on. So, uh, as you look at the text, there is lots of eyewitness testimony to Jesus. Three days after his crucifixion, his tomb was either occupied by his corpse or it was empty. And the Bible leaves no question. Not, uh, not every question is an either-or question, but this one is. He either was in there or he was out. He either rose from the dead or he did not. And there is no other real possibility about that. So let's say for our uh, discussion in the next few minutes that we do not believe the resurrection was historical. And let's look at the data and see what we observe. What are the possibilities? The tomb had been occupied. Everyone acknowledged that. Everyone agreed that he was put there. The Roman politicians, the Roman soldiers agreed, the Jewish enemies of Jesus, and the friends of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. They all agreed that he was put in the tomb. Now, what happened? Well, some people say that there was a myth that grew up around this, that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is a, a major view, that this whole thing was a legend that arose among the disciples of Jesus. Well, what about that? Well, legends arise over long periods of time. You uh, can talk about the uh, uh, legends in the ancient literature and uh, how uh, exciting some of those, that mythology is uh, to read. School children read the mythology of those ancient times. But all of that arose over long periods of time through social history. That is not what happened here. This is not a legend that arose over centuries. And if that is so, what about the witnesses? Paul said that most of the witnesses were still alive to testify to what they had seen. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Witnesses were not present to watch the myths or the legends uh, or to explain them or to... Uh, say that they had seen those things. All of these people now were eyewitnesses. Did they all, every one of them, lie about that? Did every one of them allow the lie to continue? Remember now that we're saying there were hundreds of them who said that they had seen uh, the resurrected Lord. The Jews did not even say that this was a myth. The Jewish enemies of Jesus and those that denied his resurrection later, they did not say that this was a myth. 
they acknowledged that Jesus died and that he was buried. They just argued that the disciples had taken the body away. That's what their primary argument was, that his friends, his uh, disciples, had come and taken Jesus' body away. There's a statement uh, in uh, the dialogue with Trypho. This is uh, 2nd century, about 108 A.D. Justin Martyr uh, records this. And it is a uh, Christian's conversation with a non-Christian Jew. And I brought this just so that you could see what their argument really was. And Trypho, who was the non-Christian Jew, said, You have sent chosen and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy has sprung from one Jesus, a Galilean, a deceiver, whom we crucified. But his disciples, stolen by night from the tomb where he was laid, when unfastened from the cross, and now deceive men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. You see, that was the argument, that there was a deception, that the friends had stolen the body. This is not a myth. This does not come under the, the concept of a legend. This is the point uh, that we are, are making. How can one just dismiss that Jesus lived, that he died on the cross, that he was buried outside of Jerusalem, that the tomb was empty on the third day? You can't just dismiss those facts. Hundreds of people testified to it. And the Jews themselves, who hated him the most, did not deny the essential, obvious facts. They had to have another explanation for what happened to the body. They could not just say, this is all a legend, Jesus was a legend, this is a myth, and it doesn't have any basis in fact. They couldn't say that. There was the physical evidence that too many of them had seen. There was the eyewitness testimony that they gave. And then there's all this circumstantial evidence. The tomb was empty, but the disciples stole the body, is what they said. Well... The myth view just does not hold up with the history and the testimony of the witnesses. It does not do justice to the date. Okay. So what other possibilities are there? If he wasn't out of his tomb, what could explain all of this? There are a number of in-tomb kind of explanations for what happened with Jesus. Some have said they didn't know where his body had been taken, that the, the people on the day of Pentecost who believed in Jesus didn't know where he was taken, that his disciples didn't know where he was taken. Well, question, is that supportable? Joseph of Arimathea certainly knew where he was taken. Joseph owned the tomb. He knew where it was. So that's not uh, very, uh, very good evidence. Nicodemus knew where the tomb was. There were soldiers commissioned to watch that tomb. Those soldiers knew where that tomb was. And they were there 
And the disciples knew where it was, and they went there. We have all that testimony regarding all of that. So, this all happened right there in Jerusalem. And there is no reason to believe that anybody ever went to the wrong tomb. There are those who say, well, the disciples went to the wrong tomb and it was open. They thought it was the tomb of Jesus, but it was the wrong one. Well, is that supportable? No, it, it was not an unknown tomb. The people who buried him knew where they had taken him. Joseph owned the tomb. He knew where it was. Nicodemus was a very credible leader among the Jews. He knew where they were. So are we going to claim that no one knew where Jesus was buried? That is absurd to try to hold a position like that. It is not like Christianity began across the world somewhere from where all these witnesses were. It was first preached from the one place where it would be easiest to refute it if it were not true. And that is in Jerusalem. So what happened? Well, some people say it was mistaken identity. That they just got it wrong. That their minds played tricks on them. You know, uh, sometimes you see a person in a crowd, and you think it's somebody you know, but it's the wrong person. There are those who say, well, that's what the disciples did after the, the Sunday. They saw somebody. They thought it was Jesus. It really wasn't. He was still in the tomb. But they thought it was Jesus. Kind of like sometimes, you know, you lose a loved one, and you're driving down the street. I remember after my dad died about uh, six months, one day I was driving down the street and I glanced up and there was this big Lincoln car just like Daddy drove and it had a big white driver with a white hair and it just struck me all of a sudden. That looked like Dad. But it wasn't. And uh, so, some say, well, that's, that's what happened. Some of them thought that uh, they had seen Jesus when it was really someone else. Well, the question is, does that do justice to the evidence that we have? We're reasonable people now. Let's look at the evidence. Is it reasonable to say, well, somebody said that looks like Jesus over there. Uh, I could have sworn I saw Jesus. Well, here's, here's what the disciples said about that. This is in 1 John chapter 1. I think I've got that up here for you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you 
that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What they're claiming is to have seen the Lord resurrected. And they did. Now, did they have a hallucination about that? Is this all uh, fantasy? Did they want Him to be alive so much that they uh, believed it? How many of them were there? Well, there were hundreds of them. Were they all hallucinating? Did they all go into some kind of mental disturbance? All of these witnesses, more than 500 of them, how strange is that? And how strange is it that all the hallucinations stopped, the hallucinations of seeing him, on that Mount of Olives, when he went away 40 days later. Now, just how strange is that? You see, these theories won't wash in terms of the evidence. What we're asking you to do is to think about the evidence concerning the resurrection of the Lord. These are what we call, as I said a minute ago, in-tomb or occupied tomb theories. If Jesus never came out of the tomb, then here's our question. Why did the Jews not produce the body later? Why, when Peter began preaching, did these people not come forth with the body of Jesus, plop it down right there in front of everybody, and do away with Christianity immediately? That's all it would have taken to destroy this heresy, Trifo called it, bring out the body, put it down there, and Christianity would be gone. I don't know if uh, you have been aware in the last few months of a program that was on the Discovery Channel made by filmmaker James Cameron. It was uh, entitled The Lost Tomb of Christ. And there was in this suburb of Jerusalem <coughs> called Talpiot, uh, a tomb uncovered. Uh, the tomb was uncovered actually about ten years ago. It has just now uh, got the kind of uh, notoriety in the United States uh, that it has uh, by this Cameron um, program that was on the Discovery Channel. Uh, what you need to know is, first of all, that the declarations that are made in this film were declared unacceptable by the academic community when this was first put out by the BBC in uh, Great Britain about ten years ago. And that should tell us something. Archaeology has rejected these claims Historians have rejected the claims. It's totally unacceptable. Sociologists have uh, uh, denied that this has any basis in fact. And uh, there was quite a scandal really in Great Britain ten years ago when the academic community there around Oxford and Cambridge uh, discredited the BBC 
for even presenting uh, the ideas that later came to be put into uh, Cameron's uh, film. But here are uh, some of the assertions uh, concerning this. Uh, these are the ossuaries that were brought forth. It was supposed to be a family tomb. It is a family tomb that was found south of uh, Jerusalem in a southern suburb, Talpia. was found in 1989. 1980, I'm sorry. 1980. Contained ten of these ossuaries. The ossuaries, of course, uh, you may know are uh, pottery... Uh, kind of like caskets, but they are uh, smaller. Uh, the uh, bones of the individuals are placed in these ossuaries uh, later after the flesh is decayed, and they go back into the tombs and take the bones and put them in these uh, uh, ossuaries. But there were ten of these boxes uh, found. Six of them have inscriptions on them. And the inscriptions include these names, Jesus, son of Joseph, Josie, Maria, Mary Mara, Matthew, and Judah, the son of Jesus. Now, you all have probably heard a lot about the Da Vinci Code. Maybe you've heard about the Gospel of Judas and these modern... Uh, efforts that are being made to discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're talking about this just a little bit in the middle of this lesson, because this is the latest real major effort to discredit the resurrection of Christ. And what they're claiming is, Cameron is, that he's found the body of Jesus in one of these ossuaries. Well, I believe there's not a chance of that and that this is all fiction for a number of different reasons. Jesus' family was from Nazareth. If they owned the tomb, it would have been in Nazareth. It would not have been in Jerusalem. That's first. Secondly, this family was poor. It was the wealthy among the Jews that had these kinds of uh, uh, tombs back then. Joseph of Arimathea, for example, in Jerusalem, had a tomb. And he was among the, wealth, the wealthy that were there. Uh, even if we were to posit a family tomb in Judea, it would not be in Jerusalem. It would have been down at Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where Joseph uh, was from. And we might note that this was not a secret tomb. This tomb was uh, decorated. You don't decorate one where you're trying to hide uh, someone. Unusual uh, ornaments on these uh, these tombs. Uh, another factor, Jesus is never called the son of Joseph. 
in the text. I might uh, call your attention to Mark chapter 6, for example, verses 1 through 6, uh, in which Jesus is called the carpenter, the son of Mary. His family, nor those who buried him, none of his friends would have called him the son of Joseph. And in that patriarchal culture, you don't call a person the son of their mother uh, without real reason. And that's the way Jesus is always presented in the text. The idea is actually presented that the disciples took the body of Jesus and put it into his family tomb and then claimed that he arose. That's what Cameron is saying. So are we to believe that twelve dispirited disciples somehow got beyond this Roman guard that was watching the tomb, knew that it would be put to death, uh, that the soldiers knew they would be put to death if they failed to guard the tomb, and these disciples then took the body only to move it to another tomb close by. Well, that doesn't fit the fact. Still doesn't uh, match what uh, what we might uh, think happened ever. And the other factor you need to know is that these family tombs contain the bodies of the generations as they came along. So grandpa, and then dad, mother, and then the present generation, going back generations. That's why they put them in the ossuaries later, so there would be room for more burials of the next generation. All of these people in this one tomb at Palpia were from one generation. So, not a good story. As I said a while ago, the archaeologists, the sociologists, the historians, all of those uh, uh, who have looked at this thing have discredited this from the beginning. So, well, our time is almost up, isn't it? Look at a lot of evidence in a, in a hurried amount of time, and I hate to do that uh, to you that quickly, but what happened? So what happened? Well, the Jews decided that the disciples took it. Did the disciples take it? Does that explain the evidence? How did they get past that uh, Roman guard? Did the Roman guard all fall asleep at the same time? Did none of them wake up? when that big old stone we saw a while ago in the picture was rolled away and made all that noise? Just not believable. The Jews could not have gotten past them. The guards would have been executed if they had let that happen. They were not going to let that happen. It was their job and their work to see that that didn't happen. Some have said, well, Matthew uh, lied about the guards in the gospel. He just lied and there never was a Roman guard. So if that's true, what did the Jews gain? What did the disciples gain from taking the body? Most of them were killed, martyred, persecuted, 
severely, suffered terrible death for a lie. If they took the body. Men going to die for a lie. That many people going to die for a lie. There is no reason to believe that Matthew lied or that the disciples lied and there was nothing to gain if they did. If Jesus died and he was in the tomb and he stayed there and he decayed there like all other human beings do, then there is no gospel. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, if he was not raised, then we are pitiable men. There is nothing for us to gain. There is no gospel. There is no salvation. There is nothing for us if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Well, uh, there's more. Lots to talk about with regard to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm here today, as you are here today, to confess our belief in the resurrected Lord. When Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 1, he talked about the gospel, shown to be the truth, he said, by the resurrection of the dead, of Christ from the dead. And that's the resurrection that we believe in, that we take our stand upon and that we are willing to defend as we go along. There has been no logical explanation for what happened there since the time that it took place. And there will be none because Jesus came forth from the tomb. He arose from the dead. And on that basis, we are all here today to worship Him and to acknowledge our faith in Him. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that He is the Son of God, shown to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, then you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to come to the Lord today and submit your life to Him and give yourself to His Word, and to His will. If you're here and you're ready to obey the gospel, won't you come while we stand and while we stand? Please.